Thanks, Ethan. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. In this uh, series of messages, we are talking about how to love the, the difficult people in your life, and I assume you, you have some. And it takes a, a great deal of courageous love uh, to love in the context of a real challenging relationship. So as we begin this morning, I want you to bring to mind uh, your most challenging relationship. If you've got so many you really can't decide which one is most, then just pick one. could be maybe your spouse or your boss, uh, maybe an in-law, a uh, parent, co-worker, child, neighbor, maybe your ex. But just pick the most difficult relationship. And as you think about this relationship, I'm going to assume that you have already tried all kinds of things to try to deal with the problem in this relationship and get this relationship moving forward. You've probably tried talking. Maybe there's been lots of conversations and nothing seems to really help when you, when you talk. Maybe you've tried just kind of giving in and doing whatever they want you to do and that still hasn't worked. And you've maybe tried the opposite tact. You've tried to punish them either emotionally or practically in, in an attempt to try to get them to do what you want them to do. Maybe you've tried just ignoring the problem hoping that, you know, it'll, it'll go away. And nothing really has probably worked up to this point. That's why it's a difficult relationship. And so by now, you might be consumed in bitterness over this relationship, or you might have just kind of shut down on the inside and gone numb and, and you know, just tried to put this relationship out of your mind altogether. Now, if God wanted us just to be nice to people, these people, it would be a stretch, but we could probably do that. We, we could be nice. But God isn't after niceness. He tells us to love them. That means to inconvenience ourselves for their benefit while they are probably treating us poorly. And that's the question we're addressing is how, how can you do this? Now, Jesus made it very clear how important this is in response to a question that a man asked him about what was God's top concern? What was, what was number one on God's list? And this is how Jesus answers this in Matthew 22, 36 to 39. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, apparently this sounded pretty impossible to this man, uh, the one who had asked this question. And so in Luke's recording of this event, we find a follow-up question by the man who had asked this question. This is what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. But he, you know, the man who just asked this question and gotten the answer, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, you need to understand, he's not asking for further clarity. He's asking for an exclusion, an exemption, you know, because his motive was to justify himself. So what that probably means is when, when Jesus was saying this, Someone probably popped into his mind, and he thought, uh-uh, not that person. I, I can't love that person. And so he wanted a, a reasonable exclusion or exemption from this command to love. But as you read on, Jesus makes it very clear that there are no exceptions. The definition of neighbor is if they intersect your life at any point, they're your neighbor. Now, he was looking for, okay, I can go two doors down, but the, the third guy down so, so is there a limit, or how far down do we go? Is it just across the street and next, next to myself? I'm not the backyard guy, right? So he was looking for exclusions, and Jesus said, no, the definition of neighbor is if they intersect your life, you need to love them. Well, that, that makes it a, a huge challenge. And the big question then is, how 
how can we possibly love this person? Last week, we talked about the importance of getting the definition of love right. If our definition is that we need to feel warm and, and fuzzy about this person, then, well, that is impossible. But love is defined more by action than it is emotion, it, and it's developed more by practice than it is by making big promises. But today we address the, the foundation. The, the first step we need to take is we're moving towards these difficult relationships. And the first step is found in what Jesus said to this man. These are not just two commandments, the top two on, on God's list of what's most important. Now, what you find in this, these verses, what Jesus said, this is a description of the stance that love requires. You see, the normal stance that we approach relationships from looks kind of like this. Here's the image that kind of, you know, I think this is the way we tend to approach relationships. Now, I'm not going to attempt to do this. I, I have done this, but I'm, I'm afraid I might, you know, get unstable on stage here and, and all the pressure. So this is a, you know, this is a balancing act, and it's impressive. But we tend to love like this. You know, we put our arms out, and we get up here. I'm going to do it. We get up on one leg, and as long as someone hugs us back, well, then we're good because we can kind of stabilize each other. You know, we can kind of hold on to them, and they can hold on to us. But if they don't respond to us with a hug in kind, with outstretched arms, or worse, if they kind of just bowl into us, crash into us, then we're, well, we're immediately knocked onto the ground. And if this has happened over and over and over again in our lives, we usually tend to decide, you know, the problem is this opened arm policy. That's why we keep getting knocked down. And people who have been hurt again and again in relationships, they start doing this, and eventually they get to a point in life where they, they cross their arms. They're not going to be open to being hit again. They may even kind of turn sideways and then just turn their back to people out of, you know, their experience. They've been knocked down over and over again. But the instability that has occurred in these relationships is not because of the, primarily because of the position of the arms, but it's because of the position of the feet. It's our stance. See, we do not live in a world full of people who are ready to respond to our open arms with a big hug. That's not the world we live in. We live in a love-hostile environment. And so, if we're going to love, especially the difficult people, we need a different stance. And so, in these verses, as Jesus answered this question, he is pointing to three elements in our stance. This is the stance that Jesus presents to this man. This is a three-point stance. That's what this is called. Now, I know football was not invented when Jesus said these words. But I think this is a great visual of what Jesus is describing here. Now, football is not a hugging sport, is it? Unless you consider a tackle a hug. I mean, you do wrap the guy up, but it's not technically a hug. It's more of a hit and a wrap-up than it is a hug. Football is not a hugging sport. It is a full-contact sport. And in many ways, so is love. It's not a hugging sport. We tend to think of it as a hugging sport, but... Over and over again, it requires something more than just open arms. It can be a full-contact sport, especially in these difficult relationships. Now, if you are an offensive or defensive lineman in football, this is the stance that you line up in to begin every play before the ball is hiked. And until we change our stance, the way we line up and get ready to love the people that God brings across our path, until we change our stance to this three-point stance, from this one-point stance, our love 
is only going to be able to survive ideal conditions, mutual hugging events. And difficult relationships are not that. And so when it comes to difficult relationships or even slightly challenging relationships, if our stance isn't right, we're just doomed to fail in this most important of all efforts. So what's the three-point stance? Well, it's the three relationships that are in play in every relationship. When we relate to someone, we're generally only aware of one relationship, the relationship between us and them. But what we tend to not be aware of is there are two hidden relationships that form the foundation of every relationship. There's two other relationships we don't think about because we can't see them, but they're in play whenever we're relating to another person. The two relationships, the hidden ones, are our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves. These are separate relationships, to be sure, but they're not isolated. We don't carry them on in separate categories. They are linked. There's a link between our relationship with God and our relationship with others and our relationship with ourselves. This is why Jesus said, the second commandment is like the first. He'd only been asked, what's number one? What's what's God's top concern? But what he's saying here is, I can't just talk about number one without talking about number two. Because loving God, which is commandment number one, is going to have a direct and immediate impact on how you love other people. You, You really can't separate those two. They are directly connected. And this is why when Jesus talks about loving our neighbor, he goes on to say, he describes it this way, love your neighbor how? As yourself. Well, that implies that you have a relationship with yourself. Your love for people is connected to and affected by your relationship to yourself. So let's break down the three parts of this three-point stance. Point number one is a love for God. This is the first and greatest commandment, as Jesus said, for a reason. It is the foundation. It is the first foot, first anchor in the three-point stance. In Ephesians chapter 3, which is a small uh, book in the New Testament portion of the Bible that was written by the Apostle Paul, who started a number of early churches in the first century, and it's written to a a new church in the city of Ephesus, which is in what is now modern-day Turkey. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul records a prayer. He writes down a prayer that he has for these new followers of Christ in this town of Ephesus. And the prayer basically is that God would expand their capacity to love. That's the theme of the prayer. And in verse 17, we read this. It says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. And then it goes on to continue on in the prayer. But that's an interesting statement. Paul's prayer is that they would be rooted and established in love. Love has a root to it that we're often not aware of. Now, a root is something that occurs below the surface. It's it's not visible. But all the visible flowers or fruit that grow out of that root occur above the ground, but they owe their existence to the nutrients that are brought through the soil and the root into what's above the ground, the fruit or the flowers. Now, when it comes to love, love has a root. We tend to only think of what we see, what's above the ground, what we experience or feel. We think of love, you know, as the deeds of love or the words of love or the emotions of love. What we don't realize is that these displays of love will last only 
if they are attached to the root of love. If they are not attached to the root, then they will have the shelf life of cut flowers. They'll just wither, especially under the heat and and the temperature of a difficult relationship. Now, the root of all love is a love for God. But what if someone doesn't believe in God? What if they don't think God exists or they don't want anything to do with God? Well, that doesn't change the fact that they were still created by God. And therefore, they can't get away from a need for this relationship. They can't get away from the need to both love God and be loved by God. You know, if a person ignores God, they want anything to do with the relationship or don't believe He exists, they, they can still love. They still have the capacity to love. For much the same reason, a battery can still power a light, even though it's separated from any power source. But without a connection to God, without a love for God, the capacity to love is reduced. It, it's limited. It, it, it can only endure for a certain period of time. Everyone's got different capacities, different sized love batteries that they carry themselves. But, boy, without a connection to God, eventually we just get drained to the point where we're done. We can't love this person anymore. This is why this first part of the three-point stance is so important. It gives us the capacity to keep loving, especially in these challenging relationships. So the question is, how then do we establish this relationship that, that is the root of love, this relationship with God? Well, in Ephesians 3, 16 through 17, this is the beginning of the prayer, so we'll step back just a little bit and go to the beginning now. This is what it says. I pray that out of His glorious riches, it's speaking of God here, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, what does this mean? Well, everybody knows that love comes from the heart. You know, not, of course, the beating organ heart, but the center of who we are, the the core of who we are kind of heart. But what most people don't realize is that the way the heart has, is formed or designed is, is it's kind of like an open space that requires something on the inside to fill it. Now, in the beginning, the human heart, the, the first human hearts, Adam and Eve, were filled with God's love for them and their love in return for God. But then they decided that the relationship with God and God's love was, was not enough. It was good, but it wasn't enough. And they went off in search of one more thing. They saw the forbidden fruit, and even though God had said, you know, you, you need to stay away from this, they decided, you know what, we, we really need this. We want this. It was pleasing to the eye. And so they took of the forbidden fruit. And it seems like a simple little act. But in that act, what they were deciding to do was to expel God from the very center of what they really needed and to say, you know what, from now on, we're going to decide what we really need. And that didn't just impact them. That had a spiritual effect on all of their descendants, on all of humanity. And so that's why we do the same thing with different things. But we over and over again decide, you know, we really want to put this in the center or we want to put that in the center of our heart. And so now the human heart is cluttered and filled up with 
every kind of God replacement you could imagine. In the place of God, we've stuffed all kinds of things. We've stuffed, you know, experiences. If we could just experience this or things or, or money or even other people, we've put at the very center. And what this has done is this has damaged our relationship with God. It's damaged our ability to love because we've broken a relationship with God in the process. And without God's love filling our hearts, we end up needing more things on the inside. We need love. And so our love becomes dependent on how, how well others love us. We're not approaching them anymore from a position of how can we help, but even if we're saying how can we help, there's usually something in you can help me by loving me back. Now, thankfully, God didn't leave that decision by Adam and Eve and then all of us to stand on its own. He didn't leave. He displayed his love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and then give that life, that perfect life, in exchange for our imperfect lives, to repair the break in the relationship and to establish once again God's love in our hearts at the very center of who we are. Well, how does that occur? Well, it, it involves a two-part process. There's more that can be said about it, but there's always this two-part process. The first part is that God opens up the necessary space in our heart for Jesus to fit in. He creates the space or the hole. This is what it says. You know, he, he prays that they would be strengthened, that God would strengthen them with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, on our own, we're just going to keep throwing more and more stuff into our heart, trying to fill it up. That's just the way we, without God, we just keep looking for what is it that we need on the inside to make us feel whole. That's just the way we all are. And as long as we're busy doing that, we'll never pause long enough to see our need for God, let alone create the necessary space in our life for a relationship with Him. So God uses His power to open up a space, a hole in our cluttered hearts, a space where Jesus can take residence, can enter in. Now, it's kind of like one of those trench supports you might see on construction sites, kind of look like this. You know, whenever a trench is being dug, especially if the ground is unstable, these supports are put in place. And the reason is because you can, you can dig a hole out, but if the ground is unstable, it's just going to cave in. It's just going to keep piling. It's kind of like uh, at the beach. You know, if you dig out a space with your hands with the sand, what happens? More sand just comes in, and so you dig, and more hands, you know, just this is the way our hearts are. You know, something gets taken from our hearts, or something doesn't work out, and and we don't let that hole just sit there. That, that doesn't feel good. So we are immediately finding something else to put in its place. And so God uses his power to create enough space long enough for us to realize, you know what? None of this is going to fit on the inside where I really need. We, what I need is a repaired relationship with God. Now, we experience this hole usually as, as a loss, and it can be painful. It often hurts when God begins to remove stuff from our life that should be where he belongs. And that then brings us to the second part of restoring our relationship with God. We decide to accept the love of Christ for us and invite him into our hearts. 
to put God back in the center. Now, we do this by faith. That's why it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But we put everything else in our heart by faith. If we decide that, you know, more money is what really is going to make us feel good, we, we don't know that for sure. We, we don't know how that's going to work out. But based on what we know and what we've experienced, we think, you know, what's really going to do it for me on the inside is this. So we make a faith decision and live for that. Or we decide to marry somebody thinking they're going to make us whole. Well, we don't know. But we think, and so we make a faith decision, and, and then it doesn't work out. So whenever you put something at the very center of who you are, it's, it's a decision to trust in that thing. And when it comes to Christ, it's a decision to say, you know what, I've tried these other things. I've now come to be convinced that what I really need is Christ in the very center to repair my relationship with God, a love for Him. Now notice the word may, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. doesn't have to. You know, God can open up the space in our lives, enough room for us to come to our senses and see what we really need is to repair our relationship with God, but God doesn't force His way in. He opens up the space, but we have to make the decision whether or not we're going to accept Him and invite Him in. I mean, we can reach for something else, but if we do accept Christ and we do ask Him to dwell in our hearts through faith, then our Our life, though it's still cluttered, is now changed. Now there's something new at the very center of our heart. That doesn't mean everything else is expelled and we don't care about anything else. No, we still struggle with the other things, but now something's different in the center. Now God is at the center, and our love for him is is the root. We are now rooted in love. Now with that in place, that's the first part of the three-point stance. Now... We can address the second point, and that is a love for yourself. Jesus said we are to love ourselves, or love our neighbor, rather, as ourselves. And that points to a relationship that we have with ourselves that we're usually not aware of. I mean, how can you have a relationship with yourself? There's only one of you. I mean, isn't that called schizophrenia? Well, there may only be one of you. But there are more than one part to you. You are complex. We all have an invisible soul. That has many implications. But what that in part means is that we have the capacity to step outside of ourselves, to think outside of ourselves. That's why we can make plans. That's why we can invent things that haven't ever been invented before and and form plans and build cities and planes and things like that, it's because we, we can step out of what is right now. We're not just like the rest of creation, one instinct away from the next thing we do. We, we can step outside of time and imagine a different future and begin to create that future. That's because we have a soul. But what this also means is we have the ability to step outside of our own skin and form conclusions about ourselves. What this means is that we are continually reflecting on ourselves thinking about us and having conversations with ourselves and feeling emotions about ourselves. And this self-relationship has a huge impact on how we relate to others. The most 
common term that's used now to describe this self-relationship is self-image, how, how we think of ourselves, how we view ourselves. If we see ourselves as valuable, well, then we can approach others from a position of strength and generosity. If we're not sure or we're struggling with how valuable we are, well, then we will relate to people with a, from a position of weakness and need. And we will need them to make us feel valuable and loved more than we will be ready to love them and make them feel valuable. You see, if you need someone's love, that really diminishes your ability to love them. Because as soon as they stop loving you in return, the deal's off. You're too weak. You're, you're too fragile on the inside to be able to handle love when it gets into the difficult territory. So how can we love us? Well, without God, without this first stance in place, the normal tendency is to go internal to address this need to love ourselves. And usually it it takes one of two tracks. Either it takes the self-talk track, you know, we go internal by talking to ourselves and telling ourselves how amazing we are and how valuable we are and, and how good we are. Or we take the selfish track and we decide that we're going to live for ourselves. Forget everybody else. This, I'm number one. I'm valuable. I'm important. And that's all I'm going to live for. Now, in the self-talk track, basically that's the, you know, give yourself a hug-a-day track. Now, that's, that's good. That's fine. Or stand up in front of the mirror and, and make statements of positive affirmation about your value and how amazing you are. Now, again, that's, that's not wrong. But, you see, you liking you is kind of like your mom liking you. It's, it's good, it's nice, but it doesn't really answer the depth of the question that you have about you. It doesn't, dare I say, really count that much. I mean, I got a birthday card from my parents this last week, and I opened it up, and I recognized that it was my mom's handwriting. And she said some very complimentary things about me. And I, I really appreciate it. It really does mean a lot to me to have my mother love me. But you see, if, if I am in a relationship and someone says something hard and mean to me and I'm starting to really question myself, I, I'm not going to pull out the birthday card and say, hey, you should read this. If you want to know how valuable I am, it's what my mom says about me. I mean, that's, that's kind of pathetic. That, you know, that's not going to carry any weight because, you know, the, she carried me. She has to love me. That's why we say, you know, they have a face only a mother can love. It's like, mm, you know, even there's only a mother that's going to be able to, to be able to handle that. So, again, don't get me wrong. If your mom loves you, that's great. That's encouraging. But the problem is it doesn't really answer the question you have about you. The reason is because value is established externally, not internally. And you are too close in, and your mom is too close in to really answer the questions about, am I valuable? Values established externally. You know, not, not just with people, with everything. I mean, my, the value of my house is established not by what I think it's worth or how much I like it. It's established by the market. What people who I don't even know are willing to pay for it. What they think it's worth. 
And that's why when we go out into the marketplace of relationships and we get all kinds of feedback from people saying, yeah, you're not worth much, we start struggling with that. Because we know it's, it's not enough just to say, I am great, I am amazing, I am good. It's like, it just, that's, that, that's got a hollow echo to it. This is why what people think of you tends to have more weight than what you think of you. So whenever people turn on us, which is what happens in difficult relationships, we're not feeling the love, we're not feeling the value. Whenever that occurs, what we need is God's vote. Instead of going further inside, we need to go further outside, beyond what people think, to the one who made them and us and everything else. Now, if we take the other track and we go selfish, which means we decide, you know what, I am so valuable, everyone else can take a flying leap. This is just about me now. This is all, I mean, I, I had enough time helping other people. It's me time now. Now, you may need to adjust some things where you haven't been taking care of you and you haven't been valuing you as much as God values you. But if you, if you go all the way down that selfish track, then you end up just being an island all to yourself. And not only are you isolating yourself from people, you're, you're really pushing away from what God designed you to be. God designed you to make an impact in this world. And you can't do that as an island. God designed you to love other people. You can't do that when all you care about is you and all you're taking care of is you and no, no other needs. So what happens over time if you take the selfish track is you feel worse about yourself rather than better about yourself because it's just not the way you were designed. It's not what your value is based on. So the answer to our self-image, self-relationship, self-love problem is not internal. It's external. But you see, without the God relationship in place, the only direction we have to go is internal. But, but you go further and further inside, you'll discover that's a black hole. It just gets darker and darker and sadder and sadder. We need to go external. It starts with God. So how does that occur? Well, this is what it says in the next verses in that prayer, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, this is the phrase that we looked at earlier, may have power, you notice the word power is used again and again in this prayer, may have power together with all of the saints, all of those who have decided to follow Christ, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What is this saying? Well, it's saying now that you're rooted and established in love, now that there's been a space that God has opened up in your heart and you've decided to invite Christ to take residence in the center of who you are, now that you, you've got a foothold on love, you're rooted and established in love, you've put a love for God back in the center of your heart where he belongs. The next thing that needs to happen is you need to grasp how much God loves you. His love for you needs to take a hold of you. It needs to expand in your awareness. And this isn't just some fact to know. This isn't just, yep, God loves me, check the box, next question kind of stuff. Now, this, this is a knowing, as it says here, that surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? What he's saying is this needs to become real. It, this is not on a test. What's the difference between a thought, knowledge in your mind, and something that's real. 
Well, knowledge, thoughts are invisible. They're, they're, they can be audible, they can be spoken, but they're ideas floating in the ethernet. But reality, boy, that, that's three-dimensional. That, that has width and, and length and height and depth to it. That's what it's saying is you, ne- you need to grasp the reality of how much Christ loves you. You see, God's love isn't something you can just read about, something I can just tell you about, and you're like, oh, okay, good, I feel better now. No, you have to experience. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. It has to be something that you experience, that I experience. Well, how does that happen? Well, I'd recommend that you ask God to give you the power to grasp it. That's what it's talking about, that through God's power, you grasp this. So just start out by saying, God, I, I'm struggling to... I can't see you. I can't see a smile on your face. I'm having a hard time grasping how much you love me. Help, help me to gain some experience and understanding in this. And then, having prayed that, don't run whenever he takes you beyond yourself. Because it's when you are beyond your natural capacity, when you're beyond your experience, beyond your ability, that's when you learn new stuff. Let's say your understanding of Christ's love for you is, we'll say, three feet wide. Now, I know you don't measure love in feet, but if you could measure love, your love would be measured in some capacity. Let's say your love is, your, your awareness of Christ's love for you is this much. What this is saying is it needs to go from this awareness to this awareness, and then this awareness, it needs to keep expanding. So for the sake of illustration, let's say your awareness of how much Christ loves you is three feet wide. How is he going to expand you to four feet wide awareness and eight feet wide awareness and 20 feet wide awareness? Well, if it's three feet wide, you're going to have to go beyond three feet. You're going to have to go to four feet or five feet. You're going to have to venture beyond yourself, what you've experienced, what you're, you know, all of the experiences that are within the three foot wide range, you've got experience. You know he loves you this much. Does he love you this much? So what's going to happen is that God will take you to places of pain and struggle and personal failure and relationship struggle where you're beyond your capacity. And it's in those dark places that you will experience his love. You'll begin to grasp the love of Christ. And you will over time, begin to come to understand that his love for you is the only stable ground to stand on. It's the only sure thing in life. And really, it's all that you need. Oh, you want other things, and that's fine. You can have other things. But as long as you have the love of Christ, you can be okay. Now, if your awareness of how much he loves you is only two or three feet, then that's not enough. So it's going to keep expanding. And as you grasp that more and more and more as life goes on, what happens? Well, as it says here, you are, over time, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does that mean? Well, just imagine your heart as a container with measurements written on the side. Now, again, your heart is not a container. There is no quarter, half, three-quarter marks on the side of your heart. This is for illustration. But if your heart reads all the fullness of God, what happens with the next bit of God's love that's poured into your life? Well, it overflows. 
the love that God has for you is poured out into a genuine love for other people. Now, this doesn't mean you need to wait until your heart's completely full, but this, this is an ongoing process. Is as you are anchored and you decide that a love for God is, needs to be at the center of your life, and then you begin to grasp how much he loved you in return. Well, now you're in a position to be very generous. There can be an overflow. There can be an outpouring that's beyond your natural capacity. You know, battery-powered love, whew, that's limited. But when you've got access to the love of God for you, well, that's a powerful stance. This is why God often pushes us beyond our limits to expand our grasp of his love for us. Sadly, many people take that as, God doesn't love me. No, no, he's, he's taking you beyond your experience. He's stretching your awareness, your grasp of his love for you. Hang in there. You'll see him come through. You'll see his love. You'll, you'll begin to understand this. Don't run. So with a love for God and a love for yourself anchored in his love for you, you can now move on to the third part of the three-point stance, and that is a love for others. Now, what we have so far is a two-point stance. That's a classic defensive stance. Here's a picture of a football player in a two-point stance. You know, it's used in football when you want to hold your ground. So if you're watching football later this afternoon and you see someone in a two-point stance, what do you know? They're not going forward. They're going backwards. They're, they're trying to hold their ground as best they can. So you don't want to get down a three-point stance if you're trying to hold you. Three-point stance means you're going forward. Two-point stance means you're staying place or at least holding your ground as you're moving backwards. It's a defensive stance. You, what that means is you can take a hit and stay on your feet with a two-point stance. Now, I couldn't with this guy, but, you know, if we're <laughs> equally weighted and muscled, then you can hold your ground. But love is not defense. Love plays offense. It moves towards people, not away from them. So what I've shared so far will, will help you hang in there in difficult relationships, but you, we still haven't then gone to the point of moving towards this person. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about ways to do that and ways not to do that. But the point of the two-point stance is not just so you can protect yourself but so that you can be ready to get down in the three-point stance and begin to move forward, not away from people. And when you do that, when you get down in the three-point stance, well, now you're in miracle territory. This is what it says at the end of the prayer. Now, okay, now that your love for God has been established and His love for you is gaining more and more understanding, now that you've got your two feet on the ground, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, my short translation is, now just watch what God will do. It will blow your mind. He will do not just something surprising, but something immeasurably more. You hadn't even thought of this ever occurring. What this is saying is, if through the power of God there's space in my heart where Christ dwells, and if through the power of God I'm beginning to grasp how much Christ loves me, then I'm now in a position to lean forward and watch the power of God do more through me than 
I could ever imagine, I could ever do on myself or even imagine doing. You see, the reason that we don't love well usually is because we discover pretty early on in life that when it comes to other people, especially difficult people, we don't have any power. We can't stop them from doing and saying whatever they're doing. I mean, we've tried. We've done all these other things, and they just keep being difficult. And that leaves us frustrated and, and vulnerable. But it's when we get in this three-point stance, we get to see God's power at work. Now, let me explain God's power at work. It is not like magic. It's like miraculous. There's a difference between magic and miracle. Magic is about us figuring out formulas and incantations and steps and things that we can do to bring about a for sure result in this situation. That's, that's what magic is all about. What's the formula? What's the wand? What, what can I wave over this relationship and twinkle, twinkle, it's done. Now, if you think this is magic, you'll be disappointed because you'll be in a three-point stance and you're waiting for the person to transform into something different in front of you, and they won't. And you'll go back and, okay, what's, what's the formula, three-point stance? And they won't change. They're still the toad in front of you, not the, not the princess, you know. It, the, the pixie dust isn't working. That's because this is, we're not talking about magic. We're talking about miracles. Magic is what we do. Miracles is what God does. That's why magic isn't real. It occurs in fairy tales. Miracles are real. And you can't determine the formula for a miracle. All you can do is get into the territory where miracles occur. Enter into the ground and get into the position where miracles happen. And that's what this is. You get in a three-point stance, you have just entered miracle territory. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know what. But you're in a position to watch a miracle. So if you're struggling in a relationship, check your stance. You know, don't, don't get in a one-point stance. This, this, this is a full-contact endeavor. Get in the three-point stance. Don't focus on the position of your arms. Focus on the position of your feet. I would encourage you to go back through these three points this week and ask yourself, which one of these is the weakest? Which one do I need to work on? And then begin to take steps in that area. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would open up a space in the hearts of those here who have yet to accept your Son, Jesus Christ. No matter how painful it needs to get, no matter how scary they need to get, I pray that you would, you would put a hole in their heart that nothing can enter other than you and that they would accept in faith the gracious love of Christ. And then I pray for those of us who have made that decision that you would expand our grasp of how much how much you love us. We are so familiar with human love and so we can't imagine that you would still love us even after failure number 843 in whatever area we're doing. I pray that you'd, you'd expand our awareness of your love for us and that out of, 
out of our love for you and your love for us that we then would lean into and not away from the difficult relationships in our life. And as we address how to do that in the coming weeks, I pray that you'd give us insight. We don't just need to crash into people, but we need to move towards them with wisdom. We pray you'd give us insight. Again, we thank you for your love. And we pray this in the name of the one who paid the price for that love, Jesus Christ. Amen.